Good morning. I just want to welcome you to Keep the Promise. I'm so glad you joined us today. I always like to start with, look, I'm here fulfilling what I believe God has put on my heart. And I love to share about Jesus, So, I, but I really like to make sure that people know the Bible's the truth. It's the true word of God. It is the living word of God, and it's the fact. And if at any point I fall short on the fact, go with that one. You got it? Okay, I like to make sure of that because there's so much online that is misleading and everybody claims to know everything. I am certain of one, of two things, really. There is a God, I'm not him. Check. And that I don't know what I don't know. All right, so uh, I know that sounds ridiculous, but it's just the fact of life. And uh, I'm going to share with you something that God has just been putting on my heart for the last month. And it's really my, what he's speaking to me personally, and I really felt heavily that God was speaking to all of us. As we go through these different journeys and seasons. And it's hard to try to be completely transparent when you're in the middle of something. But I want you to know. And it's really funny. I, I, I said, okay, God, life's a journey. Got it. But there has to be more. And then as the week went on last week, I heard those two words about 50 different ways. Keep going. When you're late for the bus and I can hear her just over near Westover. Nicholas, keep going. It changes, meaning keep moving, moving. And then when daddy was in rehab, I hear the lady go, keep going, keep going. And then when you just feel like you can't do it anymore, you hear almost that voice in your heart whisper, keep going. But it has the same intensity no matter what the situation, something telling you to keep going. Keep going. I can't imagine living this life without Jesus. I know we always save salvation to the end, but i got to tell you, I'm starting there. I'm starting there. you got to keep going. It says throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and then run the race with perseverance. We're going to get deeper into that, but it's that keep going. The road changes. Have you been on a dark road? Have you experienced it? Have you ever been on a road with one headlight and it's really dark in the middle of nowhere? Okay, all of a sudden, Oriana Road gets intense with one headlight at night. All right? And then there's this kind of road. The one that you have to take Dramamine for before you get on it because you know. And the edge is close and the driver's not certain or they're too speedy. There's something going on there, but there is that... Constant maneuvering, the shifting, the turning. It's an arduous road. It's a road of uncertainty. It's one of those roads you can't wait to get off of. You ever wonder why there are pull-offs on Skyline Drive sometimes? Because the driver needs a minute. And sometimes it's not so much the road, it's the passenger. Woo, me. Oh, gosh. Oh, Lord. Oh, Jesus. Oh. All right. And then there's this road between, uh, I spent a lot of time in Las Vegas for my job, between Las Vegas and L.A., there's a long road. And you can, you know, it's, a, it's an interesting drive, but it's really funny to me. If you're hungry or you need to use a restroom, the horizon is somehow closer than it is. And in the desert, that's 100 miles away. But everybody says, I'll never forget, a guy was working for me, we were doing a concert, and we always stay at the very far end, wherever... The, the company tells us to stay. And, and he said, oh, I'm going to walk down to that. And he pointed to the, it was a treasure island or something that is at least five, six miles away. And he said, I'm just going to run down there real quick. Well, in the desert, everything looks close. And we were laughing because he had on his military boots. And he's, I'm going to run down there. It's a 92 degrees in the shade. We're like, okay, we'll see you in a little while. 
About six hours later, he's like, oh, my God. I'm like, dude, Uber, number one. <laughs> number two, things are, the pers- your perspective is off when you're in a, a, an environment you're not used to. And then there's, there's that road, the one that's barren, the one that just feels like, where is the gas station? The one that, you know, there, there is no restroom. There, you know, there's all sorts of things that just make you feel like, wow, I'm, I'm on a desolate road, I'm by myself, and then all of a sudden all the movies you should have never watched start going through your mind. <laughs> if I have a flat tire and pull off, I don't want any help. And then there's the off-road. When you find yourself in uncharted territory, places that nobody else has driven much before, or, or maybe you don't know them enough to ask those questions. Those roads that aren't paved, I call those the high road. The high road is the road less traveled, because people will stay on the pavement and fuss all day, but when the high road can take you closer to your calling and who Jesus wants to be in your life, very few people want to off-road. They want to stick to what they know. And I'm telling you, to to keep going, you're going to have to off-road a little bit. Because it's off-road for you. It may not be off-road for me or somebody else. My off-road is a completely different place. But off-road. And this, when I saw this last night, it reminded me of something I want to share with you. I was in Kasumu, Kenya. In the middle of, uh, actually I was out in the Serengeti, just past Kasumu. We were about three hours away. You guys don't care, but it gives you perspective. All right, so I was in the middle of nowhere is my point. And I was sick as a dog. I got out of the car. I had been warned, hey, if you don't see any birds in the fields, be careful. That means there's snakes. Oh, and by the way, there's the big snakes, like the cobra-type things. And then there's one called a two-step. And I said, why'd you call it a two-step? He goes, because you get two steps. And I'm like, perfect, outstanding. How big is that one? The size of a pencil. Wonderful. Can't wait. Fantastic. So I get out of the, on the Serengeti. I'm on the side of the road by myself in one of those little Jeep things. Uh, I wasn't by myself. There were six other people there with me, but I went off by myself because, you know, when you get sick, you just don't want to. Sh- it's really not a spectator sport. You know what I'm saying? All right. So I went off, and over here somewhere was this little creek bed, and I went over by the creek bed, and I was sick, and I kept seeing these little eyeballs come up and go down, come up and go down, and I thought, maybe it's an alligator. I don't know. I don't care. Don't care. Don't care. Kill me now. Don't care. Third world country, 100 degrees, feeling horrible. I'm out there for Jesus. Take me now. That's really how I was feeling at that moment. And then I had this uh, guy come over to me and he said, okay, okay, lady, you, we need to go now. And I was like, this dangerous place. And I was like, uh, and I said, why now? Is it a snake? Is it some pterodactyl? What's going to get me now? And he said, oh, that, that's a hippo. Hippos kill more people than alligators. And I'm like, what? Because they're big and they're lumbering. He said, oh, no, ma'am. They, they, when they're motivated, they can eat you. <laughs> I was like, and I was puking. And I looked at him and I said, that hippo would be stupid. <laughs> I, he's looking at me going, no, not, not, hey, fellas, not that one. Woo, something wrong with it. All right. But my point is, I get back to this road and you can see for at least 50 miles, way in the distance, because there's nothing. And I was kneeling by the back of the Jeep, and I said, God, if you, look, you know, help me, please. I just need, I didn't have any water or anything with me. I said, God, if I could just have a glass of water and a wet rag, that would be awesome. Now, do you see how far you can see this kind of smoke trail? Out of nowhere, 
a jeep pulled up. Man and woman hopped out. They said, hi, how are you? I'm sorry you're sick. They handed me a gallon of water, a plastic cup, and a wash rag. I was sick. And I looked over and I thought, wow, how weird is that? I just asked for that. Cool, I didn't know we had that in the truck. I didn't realize what was going on. I was sick. Then when I got up, finally got my senses, and I turned around to thank them, uh, everybody with me was going, looking in all directions. There was no smoke trail. There was no Jeep. There was nothing. We couldn't figure out where they came from or where they went. It really didn't matter. The need was met. But my point is, sometimes we limit God to what we can see possibly happening. And often we need to just let God be God because he can do amazing things. But we, we don't give him that chance sometimes because we don't ask for the impossible in a ridiculous situation. But we have to keep going. Keep going. Keep asking God. And even if it sounds ridiculous and it is a need, ask him. It says, call on me and I will answer you. There's a promise there. It's not, if I can get to it. It's funny, I saw a video yesterday and it said, what if heaven were like, you know, and it was making up a company name like Cox Cable or something like that. And a guy called in and it says, hi, welcome to, welcome to heaven. Your caller number 3,972. We'll be with you in 15 years. (laughs) So, I mean, thank goodness God is instantaneous. He wants to hear you right now. But my question today is, I want to ask you, is can you read a map? Can you read a map? You're saying, where are you going with this, Angela? Bear with me. We're getting there. But can you read a map? If the GPS went out, if the phone went crazy, if you're middle of nowhere and there's no Wi-Fi, can you read a map? Most people in Nicholas's generation can't read a map. They, they are like, cool. I can remember going on road trips with my dad, and he was teaching me how to read a map, and he would say, I'd say, are we there yet? And he said, look at the map. They say, look at that legend at the bottom, you know. And I'd take it, and I, I was maybe six or seven. I'd go, three inches. <laughs> In my mind, we've only got three inches to go. I hadn't equated a thousand miles to each inch, but, but we're nonetheless. So can you read a map? Are you certain of your destination? Do you know where you're going? And I'm, I'm talking eternity, but I'm also talking on that daily basis, daily walk with God. As you keep going, do you know your destination? Do you set one each day? Now, this is the GPS system we're all kind of used to. Anytime we're going to go somewhere, we have to Google it, or we have to map it, or we do something. But what I found really interesting is that if I went into Google Maps, and I said, here's where I'm starting, and I entered no destination, it said it can't calculate. If you don't know where you're going, you'll never get there. So there has to be a destination, even if the destination isn't necessarily a specific place, but it is a desire in your heart that you are following. You've got to have a destination. And I love it. We're used to this, where the map will tell you, oh, exactly four hours and nine minutes, you're going to be there. And unless you want to stop at 12 Starbucks between Sacramento and here, then it might take a little while. I'm recalculating. I am certain that GPS gets frustrated. Because I'll turn off the path constantly, and it'll start, it starts out kind of nice, recalculating, recalculating, and I'm certain about an hour into it, recalculating. It's like, just turn me off. You're not listening anyway, is what I can hear it saying to me. 
But we're used to things telling us exactly how far, exactly the path it will take, warning you when there's stuff in the road, telling you there's a policeman on the side of the road, there's an accident, there's a backup, there's a hot dog joint, get your gas. We no longer go on road trips of uncertainty. And if you get lost someplace, you turn it on and you go to wherever it can find you, that you need to go. But we, don't, we, don't, we no longer understand that, that following something with faith and not being certain exactly how we're going to get there, we like knowing exactly the time, the place, the destination, and all the road stops. That's not the way life works. That's not the way it works. That's why keep going is so important. I remember I was in Hawaii once, I was... Uh, doing some work there and you had to go to the top of this mountain and as you go around the corner of the mountain you have to honk the horn honk and you wait and if no one honks you go back you go around right well as you're going around you look over and you can see cars upside down where people have either not honked or just you know whatever but they're upside down it was very confidence building nonetheless I was looking at the gas gauge and I said oh, we're on empty we got to go back we, we got to go back we got to go back how far do we need to go I don't know but what I do know is it's on E and we're on the side of a mountain. So we turn around, five, nine, 1,200 point turn. <laughs> we head back down the mountain. And I get gas, and I come right back up to that spot. And I honk the horn, and I go around, and there's the destination just around the mountain. Had I gone that extra 50 feet, I would have seen where we were heading. But you get so distracted with, oh, but I need this before I can do that. I need this before I can do that, that I didn't realize the need was about to be met. I just couldn't see it. It wasn't on my map. I didn't know. So how about spiritually? If we were to apply mapping and connection and, and just overall listening to direction, where are you today? Can you hear clearly? Are you open to a change in direction? Because though everything is telling you, recalculating, here, where we go, does it ever irritate you when you do have your map on and you've decided to do something else and it's continuing to try to tell you to go to the last place? And then finally you get frustrated and cut it off. Are you willing to recalculate? Are you open to a change in direction? Metaphorically, is your car out of gas? That can't be that hard to push, by the way, but nonetheless. Is your, is your car out of gas? Do you feel it? Are you tired from the journey? Life is a journey. You keep going, but you get tired while you're doing it. Do you know where to fill up? Do you know how to fill up? I rented a car. I went to the gas station. Common sense says you pull the nozzle and put it in the car, right? It was one of the new cars where it will only take a certain type of gas from a certain gas station. Have you seen those yet? And the, the conduit that you use would not fit the nozzle. And I'm like, what? Of course, I waited till it was on E, but nonetheless. <laughs> so I, and I'm pitching a fit because I can't get the nozzle in. And the guy comes out and says, oh, no, ma'am, you've got to go to this other gas station where it will actually accommodate the car. And I thought, I'm never renting this car again, number one. But, but number two, do you know where to fill up? I had made some assumptions that that was the last thing I needed to worry about. And do you know the warning signs of being empty? I'm talking to me and you and all of us. This is, I, I never stand here thinking, oh, well, I've arrived in this area. No, I'm sharing with you. These are things I'm praying about every day. 
Do you know what it's like to be empty? And then I noticed how sophisticated my car is. It will tell me not only that it's empty, it'll tell me how many miles I get to go until it's empty. GPS will kick in. Google will come on and say, hey, you might want to get some gas and tell me where the nearest gas station is. So I never really have to think about running out of gas. It wants to make sure that I don't. But personally, physically, we can push ourselves to the limit of empty. Have you ever known somebody that pushes themselves so far they get sick? They're sick from exhaustion. And then they look at the doctor like he's crazy when they say, you just need to rest. And that word has no meaning or option. Because they're so entangled in everything that's going on, they're so necessary to everything, that they're becoming almost a liability that they will soon not be available to be helpful or be part of the necessary process. Have you ever said this? I'm just tired, that's all. I say that, Rosie, about 92 times a week. Just say, you're all right, yeah, I'm just tired, that's all. And then I realized it was becoming a mantra, that I was tired, that I am tired. I'm not lying to you, I'm tired. But I'm not quitting. I'm going to keep going. I want to hear what God has to say. I want to learn how not to be tired. I want to learn how to be invigorated. I want to learn how to know when the tank is getting empty and how to refill it. Because sometimes they're, they're, we always have to go to God to refill. We always have to go to Jesus and pray and say, Lord, please help me, give, invigorate me. Help me today to hear your voice. But there are other steps along the way. Have you checked your map lately? Do you know what this says about where you are? Do you have one scripture memorized about your situation? One. And if you don't, find it today, please. And let that be your mantra in your mind and heart that says, okay, this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad. If you're having those days where you're just like, okay, it's a sad day. I'm depressed. I'm tired. I'm angst. I'm anguished. This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad. Say it until you make it the place you are. You've got, it's, a, it's a mantra inside yourself that you just say, look, I'm not feeling it. But I'm going to say it and I'm going to believe it and wait for that, that chasm to get filled by the grace of God. Because right today, maybe not so joyful. But the joy of the Lord is my strength. I need that. I'm looking for it. Let's go. I'm going to check in the map. I want to know the directions to where I need to get to. So I decided as I was praying this week, God kept saying map. I'm like, Map. And then I realized that there were three areas that, we need, that he wanted me to share with you that I'm working on that I'll just share with you. Maybe you've already arrived. Hallelujah, help me later. Margin, attitude, and perspective. They all go together. Margin, you know me, got to know what it means. Here we go. The edge or the border of something. Have you ever said, I'm on the edge? On my last nerve, I'm on edge. There's all sorts of ways to use that. Or you could be on the edge of a breakthrough, or you could be on the edge of... My, my grandmother used to say, I have one nerve left, you're getting on it. And so, so have you been there? That edge, that verge, that border, perimeter, the brink of something, an ex, just an extreme situation, the fringe. 
So that's what, what margin has to do with is, is trying to define those places, trying to figure out how to have the difference. How, how do I find room to make difference? That's margin. I read this this week and I thought it was funny. It said, the condition of modern day living, devour margin. If you're homeless, we direct you to a shelter. If you're penniless, we offer you food stamps. If you're breathless, we connect you with oxygen. But if you're marginless, we give you one more thing to do. Marginless is being 30 minutes late to your doctor's office because you were 20 minutes late to get out of the haircut, because you were 10 minutes late dropping your children off to school, because your car ran out of gas two blocks from the gas station, and you forgot your purse. That's marginless. Anybody ever had a day like that? You know, we, we talk about being Murphy, but it's marginless. You need margin in your life. When you're not hurrying or worrying all the time, you have some time to think. And I'm not talking that thinking, that stinking thinking. I'm talking thinking that just lets your brain rest a minute. Time to relax. Maybe take a minute to enjoy life. And I've found that as I tell people we need to figure out how to enjoy life, they almost want to rebuke that because what, am I, you telling me not to help the people I'm helping? Well, what I'm telling you is that when I don't have any margin, my helping doesn't feel or look like helping. My helping looks like I'm irritated and tired of being there. Am I only talking to me? Because when you're in the right place and you've got a little bit of margin, then all of a sudden when things aren't going quite right, there is a grace that you're able to, to extend to someone else. When you're not constantly going, oh my God, another thing? Five minutes, five minutes of just give yourself a minute to think and calm down in peace. It may be more than that. Time to be still and know that God is God. It equips you to go above what you could possibly do in and of yourself. Without that time spent with the Lord, it is hard to have patience with coworkers. Without that time spent with the Lord, it is difficult to deal in hospital and emergency room situations. And then when it becomes an extenuating circumstance of one thing right after the other, and you're in a depleted state of no margin... Everything starts to change. Out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth speaks, and the next thing you know, you're saying things you never thought you'd say. You're doing things you never thought you'd do. You are frustrated. Because there's no margin. There's no moment to take a break. We need to find margin. But what I've discussed and discovered this week is as I talk to people about it, they don't know what it looks like. What does margin look like? How do you find margin in a day that I, right now, when, it was funny when somebody was telling me, Angela, you need to find some margin. Because what I'm dealing with, sick, sick parents and all this other stuff and hospitals and doctors and lawyers and, and everybody on God's planet needing something and wanting something. You have this tendency to go, I need to meet your need, I need to meet your need, I need to meet your need, I need to meet your need. And the next thing you know, I, I fell asleep sitting on the couch with a full cup of coffee and I woke up and had not spilled a drop. Those are places we need to avoid getting to. I'm just trying to tell you because I'm not standing here like, ooh, I've figured it out. I'm just saying I don't think I'm alone in this because everybody I've talked to has got a story. We've got a season. We've got a road we're on. We're, we keep going. But what does margin look like? And each of us will have a different way that we get margin. All right, now. All right, I know I've got a lot of teachers in the room. This is not exactly what I'm talking about, but you get my point. There is a space that has nothing in it, right? 
So when Nicholas does his homework, I have an expectation that between this line and that other red line, that's where the focus is, right? And if you forget something or whatever, you've got some space here that you can use, but you don't use it. You leave it because it helps all of this to be in focus and it makes sure that you've given yourself some parameters to work in. What I'm talking about in a marginless life is there are no lines on the page. You've written in really tiny, like three-point text. It's filled the whole thing. You flipped over to the other side, and oh my gosh, you need another page. Nobody else there? Nobody else know what that's like? We filled every moment. There is no, no space. And see, when you don't have margin, not only do you not have the energy to do what you need to do, not only have you not given yourself a moment to refresh, but what if there's a change in the plan? Heavens to Murgatroyd, we have messed up the whole thing. And now we have even less margin because now we can't change anything. We're unadaptable because we have no space to accommodate it. So from the outside, I want to know where this is, a rock with grass on it. From the outside, looking in, margin looks a little bit like laziness. And when you get around people who are equally as marginless, and then you say, I'm taking a break, you can almost hear them go, must be nice. Right? And I'm getting to where I'm like, yes, it is. All right, so margin can be found sitting on the couch, taking a bath, strolling through the neighborhood, listening to music, reading a book, laughing, talking, even just sitting in silence. You define what your margin is and how long that needs to be. And for most moms, you know, I hear them talk about, I need my Calgon moment. You know, it's a joke where you can go in the bathroom, shut the door, and you got five minutes to yourself. I talked to my uncle yesterday, and he said, my, I said, where's your margin? He said, my lawnmower. I said, what? He said, love to mow the grass. I get on that lawnmower, I can't hear the phone. I can't hear my wife. I can't hear anybody. And he said, you know, sometimes I cut it twice. (laughs) It's margin. He just needs a minute. Needs a minute. And something about the rumbling of that grass cutter and your control of the speed and you can go around if you want to go around, whatever. It is just something. That's his margin. He gets off happier than he got on. That's margin. Is there anything you come out happier than when you went in? That's like I have a theory about movies. If it's going to make me sad or scare me to death, I'm not going to see it because I don't come out happier than I went in and I really don't need to pay somebody $12 to make me feel bad. Right? I don't need that. So if it isn't going to make you happy, I don't want to see it. But margin has lasting benefits. It not only benefits you, it benefits everyone around you. And specifically, and most directly, everyone in your house. And Nicholas will say, amen. (laughs) All right? Because we all know when the pile gets piled on and the load gets heavy, it's the ones closest to you that end up getting the brunt of you just being short, curt, snappy, irritated. And if you ever had something go wrong that was just minimal, and all of a sudden, it's like that Sony commercial with the speaker going this way. And you're like, well, wait a minute. It was, it was a battery. And then you realize, wow, I have unloaded everything from the day on that one little bitty thing. Because I had no margin. I didn't take a break. I didn't leave the office for lunch. I used to, when I worked over on the other side of the water, that 45-minute drive, even when the traffic was bad, was margin. Because you could turn the phone off. Turn the radio on or nothing. And then you had, it was just you. And it gave you that time to just kind of, okay, 
But you've got to work that into your days. Now it's so easy to stay at work 24 hours a day and to phone on 24 hours a day. 87% of the people on the planet sleep with their cell phone by their bed. They don't want to miss anything. The pause that margin provides is life-giving. Margin allows you to breathe. It leaves room for God to speak to you and you to listen. Because without any margin, any space, what if he tells you to do something? Well, I can't. I got this and that and this and this and this and that. It offers a quiet space for you to think and grow. It serves as a catch-all for life's inevitable mishaps and emergencies. Margin looks reality square in the eye and it says, I know you're coming, but now I'm going to be ready for you. A person who rakes room for margin is wise indeed. We spend our lives acting instead of, or or reacting instead of acting. And if you're not prepared, and if you haven't taken that extra minute and just sat down for a second and given, or whatever it is, I don't know, mow the grass, do something that allows in here just to feel like, okay, I can hear better, I have a better perspective, I feel better about all... All the stuff's still going on. I didn't get off the lawnmower and my dad's all better. I didn't get off the lawnmower and all the problems are solved. I didn't get off the lawnmower and all the work was done that I hadn't finished that was due for work yesterday. None of that was finished. But somehow, I'm in a better place to deal with all of it. I had somebody ask me this week, Margin, is that really in the Bible? Because they were seeing it as, oh my gosh, one more thing to do. And my answer to you is, yes. It was in the beginning, if you remember. There was one of those things on the top seven. I even made the top ten. But now, ten commandments is what I'm talking about. And now we got, uh, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. God knew we needed time to rest. That in our busyness, we could not hear him. And that we love to be busy. We love to have stuff to do. We complain about it, but when it stops and no one asks us to do anything anymore, we launch into a whole new world of insecurity that says, nobody needs me anymore. And now we suck all our margin into the portal of, am I the only one? I'm going to assume no, because there's thousands of books about this, so it must be somebody else other than me, okay? But that day of rest... And I can remember as a kid, the day of rest being Sunday, and that if you started your lawnmower, that was a bad thing. And if you went to the grocery store, it was not open. There were things that, nothing, you better get it on Saturday because, honey, Sunday is, uh, Sunday is closed. It's not like that anymore. Life is 24 hours a day. The only thing that's going to make it stop or pause is you. Is it worth it? I think it is. Because what it leads to is this next one that's hard. It's attitude. Here we go again. It's that viewpoint, the outlook, the perspective, the stance, the position. It's that orientation, that approach. It's that that part of you that, that has that inclination to just be irritated if other people don't understand what you're trying to say. You can see attitude coming. I can be in the grocery store and I say, hey, how you doing or whatever. And some lady will walk up to me and I can see it. She is ready. And I'm like, hello. And she keeps right on going. I'm like, woo, praise the Lord, hallelujah. And you, you pray for them because you know there's something going on. But you can see it all, even while she's grocery shopping. She's not happy to be there. 
That attitude. Attitude permeates your being. You ever met this person? You ever been this person? Right? The one who said, look, I've had enough. Enough's enough. That last nerve, oh, honey, you on it. We are people. We're human. And, and, and when I used to write uh, Life Up, I, there was the things for CBN that I wrote for years, and they had two sections. It was two producers doing it, me and one other girl. And uh, we had our choice. If we could either do the theological perspective or life application. I told her, take all the theology and run with it. Go investigate the Pentateuch. Go find out how heavy the locks were. I want life application because I feel like this is where we're at. And I'm going to lie to you if I stand here and say, hey, if you love Jesus as Lord and personal Savior, your life gets easy. It's like winning the lottery. All your problems disappear. You will never worry again in your life. You will never feel unhappiness. You will never cry another tear. I'm lying to you right now. (laughs) But what I am telling you is as all those things are happening, there is someone interested in every aspect of your life. Someone who wants to help you and teach you and give you that map to get you from point A to point B and to know him deeply along the way. Jesus maintained a perfect attitude in every situation. He prayed about everything, and he worried about nothing. What is that like? When somebody asks me, what do you think heaven's like? Can you imagine someplace where you don't worry about anything? Doesn't even cross your mind? It's not like you have to discipline yourself to go, no, no, no. It's just, it's just not. He, he prayed about everything, worried for nothing. We should seek God's guidance about every aspect of our lives and allow him to work out his perfect will. See, Jesus' attitude was never to become defensive or discouraged. His goal was to please the Father. He was really focused on why he was here. He didn't let the meanderings and murmurings of everyone else change his vision or his direction or rewrite the map. When they all said, oh, you're falling short. Oh, you need to do this. Oh, you need to do that. You need to wear this. You need to go there. You need to travel here. You need to be... Can you hear it? I'm certain it was there. All these well-intentioned people trying to tell Jesus exactly how to be Jesus. In the midst of trials, he was patient. In the midst of suffering, he was hopeful. In the midst of blessing, he was humble. And in the midst of ridicule, abuse, and hostility, he made no threats and did not retaliate. Instead, he said, he is entrusting himself to him who judges justly. In other words, he knows, my father sent me. I'm about his purpose. I'm confident of that. I'm not going to worry about what you think. That's a hard place to get in our lives where we say, I am confident that God has called me, that he loves me, that he cares about me, and whether you see value in me or not really doesn't matter because God loves me. Can you imagine getting to that place where your value is not wrapped up in what someone else thinks you are or should be or could be, where you're just at a peaceful place of God loves me. I'm sorry you don't. I hope you get to know me better. But until then, I'm going with Jesus. You don't get to trump what God is telling me. You don't get to to outweigh the voice of God. Then that brings us to that next place. So if we've had a little margin, give yourself the chance to think. You get your attitude back in the right place. You're no longer fussing at everybody and pitching a fit. Now Now we're back in that centered spot. Okay, we're going, okay, Lord, help me today. Now we're into the perseverance. That steadfastness in doing something despite difficulty or delay in achieving success. Perseverance. 
doing it despite how difficult it is. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that is so easily entangled and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down on the right hand of the throne of God. He knew what was coming, so he endured what was happening. Consider him who encouraged such, incurred such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. It's trying to help us understand that Jesus had a vision for what was to come that allowed what was going on to not derail him from his purpose, to not derail him from the love God has for him, to not derail him in what he was here to accomplish. What he was going through was hard, but he knew what was coming was so much better. What you are going through may be hard, but what's coming is so much better. It says to throw off everything that hinders you and the sin that so easily entangles. Have you thrown off the things that are holding you back? And it could be something someone said to you years ago. It could be every time you go to do that desire of your heart. I wrote music for a long time, and I've I've played in a, a lot of studios all over the world. And I remember there was this one guy one day that came in that I didn't know very well, and I was just playing, messing around on the piano. And he came up to me, and I was, was practicing, getting ready, and I was kind of sick. But I was trying to sing, which you're not supposed to do. And Anyway, he came over, and he goes, that didn't sound very good. Because he's just arrogant, you know, it's one of those. <laughs> and I was like, I kind of knew that. But do you know when I got better and could sing again, it ran through my mind every time I'd go to sing. That guy who I had known for five seconds, who had one sentence to say, had planted the seed of doubt that I was letting grow. Have you had anybody do that to you? Have you had anybody say anything to you that you are carrying around in your pocket? Now, either you flip that into motivation to prove them wrong, and you say, all right, Lord, I forgive them, I'm moving on. Or you let it go. Because if you're carrying it around as your litmus for whether you're good enough for something or not, you are checking the wrong place. Fix your eyes on Jesus. It says, cast them off, the things that entangle you, and then fix your eyes on Jesus. In other words, whatever it is that you're facing, if you're looking at Jesus, it will not entangle you anymore. You can step through, move on, pass on. And then that word run, that messes people up. The run word, because all of a sudden they're like, oh my gosh, i got to run. i got to run. I, my knees hurt, my back hurt. I'm tired. Oh, there we go again. All right, we're, we're circling right back around. But run, is in, it's, it's, it means to move, to have action, to keep pressing on, to keep going. Keep going, keep going. It's funny, no matter where you go and overseas and you go on a tour, you'll see a large group of people. And they'll have, usually it's a, like an Asian tour or whatever, and they'll have a little flag on a stick. And they'll be moving them around, you know, you know and you see everybody and you can see the little flag, right? And it's funny, the lady in the front, you'll say, keep going, keep going, because she doesn't want them to stop every five seconds. Well, this is that keep going moment in this. Keep going, keep going. You will not grow weary and lose heart if you have your eyes on Jesus and you keep going. We've, we've fixated on run the race with perseverance. 
But I'd like you to fixate on the second couple lines here. Keep your eyes on Jesus and you will not grow weary and lose heart. Keep going. The race requires endurance. The race is not like a, a sprint. It's a marathon. It starts the moment you receive Christ and lasts until you get to heaven or Christ returns. It's the path that is not level ground. It leads through all kinds of hills and obstacles. Such a race does not require blinding speed. It requires endurance. There's the Greek word for it, and that means to hang in there. Hang in there. It is perseverance, the stick-to-itiveness, the refusing to quit in spite of fatigue and the pressure to do so. Endurance, along with this synonym of patience and long-suffering, which there is the Greek word for that, I'm not even going to try, is a key theme in Hebrews. They use the word six times in the passage. These two terms are used over and over more than 70 times in the New Testament because it is an important character in the quality of a Christian life. Perseverance. 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 If you're sick, persevere. If you're broke, persevere. If you don't know what it is God's called you to do, persevere. Keep going. Keep seeking. Keep asking. What does it say? Knock and you will find. Ask, and I will answer you. It's time for us to throw off the things that hinder and so easily entangle. Right, I'm going to try to share something with you now. Anytime you do a science project in front of people, there is a risk, but we will persevere. <laughs> All right. Hold on just a second. Let me clear off the beautiful bean footage. Thank you, Rosie, for sending me a text. See if I can get this up here. And you're going to probably have to cut the lights off. And if my phone drops in the water, we'll just say, Hallelujah, praise the Lord, I got insurance. <laughs> oh, let me fix that. I want to make it so it's a. Uh, y'all all know that trick, right? The trick to the iPhone. Tap it once, and there you go. Okay. <laughs> Let's see if I can get this to tighten up. Let's see. Can you see it? Can you see the bowl? I know what, instead of moving the camera, let's move the bowl. That's called common sense. <laughs> All right, so the bowl is clean, it's nice and empty. That's kind of how, in the beginning, right? Everything was good, it was clean, it was nice, it was neat, right? And that bowl is super clean. Y'all know I don't cook, so here we go. All right, so I'm just going to put some water in this bowl, right? And there's all sorts of ways to do this. I wrote for almost 15 years for children's television and ministry and whatnot, so there's all sorts of crazy little stories that I can tell you. But I think this one's kind of interesting. So you can go somewhere with it where you say in the beginning, and then, of course, everything was nice and clear and good and great, and, and then there was sin. And sin began to sprinkle its way in. Right? But I'm going to take it that one step further for us. Let's just look at life in general. We're talking about not having any margin, so I'm just going to look at my life. I'm going to put some work. I'm going to put dad in the hospital, taking care of folks, parents. Oh, that's not even close to enough. That's, that sprinkle needs to be a lot more. All right, let's just go. There we go. All right, let's get some school. Nicholas going to high school. All right, do you see? 
Life is messy. Right? Stuff happens to all of us. And if anybody says that it doesn't and they're living the perfect life, they are lying to you. I'm just telling you. So here we go. We got stuff going on. And then I need something to give me some margin. So then I I put Jesus in there. (laughs) So once I put Jesus in the middle of it, I find my margin. I found that place where I got some room to breathe. I got some perspective. Now look, listen. You notice that some of it, it didn't disappear. Some of that stuff's still in there. I'm still going to have to deal with it. I still got hospitals to deal with and decisions to make. I still got work to do on Monday. I still got the bus coming. Got to get up, 530. But it's in an area now where I now I have some margin to deal with it. I've allowed God to do something for me so that I have some peace in the process. Somebody asked me this week, they say, I'm wearing that God's got it bracelet. What do I do if God, I'm believing for God to have it and it's not going like I think it should go? This is God's got it. He's giving you the grace and the peace and the endurance and the margin to deal with whatever comes your way with the promise that he will never leave you nor forsake you and none of this mess will overtake you. How about we pray now? Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Heavenly Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus, and I thank you, Lord God, that you love and care for us so much. I thank you, Father, that you are creating margin, just like you spread the sea, Father, for Moses. I thank you, Lord God, in our lives, you are spreading the chaos. You are moving things out of our way. You are the light unto our path, and you are helping us, God, to see exactly where the step needs to be next. Thank you, God. In that margin, we are going to find hope. We are going to find health. We are going to find peace. That joy of the Lord that renews our strength will be found again as we go to you, Lord, and let you clear the clutter. So, God, I pray right now, if there's anyone listening that says, I don't know Jesus well enough to ask him to do that. Well, I'm talking to you right now. It's quite simple. You say, Lord Jesus, please come into my heart. I accept you as my Lord and personal Savior. I need you. Help me. If you prayed that simple prayer, God heard you. He is with you. He knows you. He wants to help you. So God, I pray for everyone here and everyone online right now. I thank you, Lord God, that a season of peace is coming. I thank you, Lord God, that you are moving the chaos aside and giving people clear direction. And that your voice, God, will be clear and audible. We will know your voice. We will follow your directions. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Give the Lord a hand clap. Angela, thank you for sharing. Well, while we're getting everything pulled together, isn't it amazing how God works stuff? I had... uh, no idea what you were working on this week. I always say, man, do what God's leading you. And this is a song we wrote some time ago. It's called I Bought the Lie. And the whole time that you were doing this, I thought, man, what the perfect song for us to end on today. Or I'd rather say for us to start on, um, to look at this. And I pray as we go through the music 
and, and sing and praise the Lord, realize that, you know what, the enemy is out to kill, steal, and destroy. He's out to just have all those things just get you busy so that you can't focus on the, the things of God. But I want you guys to, to stand to your feet if you would, or you can praise him from your seat. And we're going to go through this song here. And I just ask you to just take the message that, that the Lord brought through Angela, take the music that we're bringing here, and we're going to glorify God. But I, I pray that you're at peace at what God's doing. Amen.
Friends, I want to encourage you, if you're online and you heard the message today and it just touched your heart, you know, send us a note. Uh, let us know what God's doing in your life. I thank you for each person here today. And know that, you know what, God is here. No matter where you've been, what you've done, what's going on, that he is a loving God and that he desires to bring you close to him. So with that being said, we're going to sign out, and we love you. Thanks so much. Amen.